the heartland of the Jesus name Pentecostals, the Louisiana district of the United Pentecostal Church tape ministry. Tapes may be obtained by writing tape ministry, P.O. Box 248, Tioga, Louisiana 71477. Let the tape roll. May you be blessed by this ministry to the glory of God. Feel my soul with the world. 
Stanford went to Metro Boston to open up a work and since that time he's opened up 12 works, 12 works. in the city of Boston Massachusetts amen brother Stanford feels a change in directions in his ministry and will be holding soul winning seminars if any of you that are here pastors and you would be interested in this you see him after the service He's a great soul winner. Praise God. And I pray that when this service is over with, I remember this, that somebody's destiny hinges on what you do. I want you to think about that. Every soul counts. Let's pray for the anointing of the Lord. Rest upon Brother Stanford as he comes. Lord Jesus, we pray, God, for your anointing to rest upon our speaker today as he challenges our hearts. God, let great conviction get a hold upon us and let us leave with a desire and determination to do more for you. Jesus. Thank you, Brother Cupid, Brother Bushnell, to the Home Missions Board, our great great superintendent brother Tenney that district board my wife and I are happy to be here I'm a third generation Pentecostal and this is the first time I've been to Louisiana camp I've heard over the years that uh, you have a better chance of being saved if you go to Louisiana camp once I don't know now if I can I don't know now that since I've been here maybe I can quit praying or maybe I can quit paying tithes or I don't know no well well, anyway, I'll do what I can. I want to be saved. Praise God. Now, those of you that don't know me, I am not from Boston. I went there, and so I don't have their accent. I still talk right. Praise God. Praise God. And I'm happy to be here with you today. Just very briefly, while you remain standing, I would like to give you just a little background. 
I am a third generation Pentecostal, but I apostolic, but I only received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name two weeks after I graduated from high school. And then I changed directions instead of the University of New Mexico, I went to Bible college. And I was there a little while until one of the ladies got through in her prayers and won me. And um, I was married to her. And uh, that was nine days after I turned 20. And then in three weeks, we started our first home missions church in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. In three months, we had 37 when the superintendent called and asked me to go to Pleasantville, New Jersey and take a church. He said, Brother Stanford, go there. He said, all the people there are troublemakers. And when you get through and can't take them anymore, call me. We're going to sell the building and give it to missions. The average age was about 75. I was 20. One lady told me one day, said, when I was 20, I thought I knew everything too. But we were there three years, and we left with 16 youth in the youth choir and about 86 in Sunday school. God gave us another revival. And from there, we went to Wichita. We took a congregation of nine. I didn't say church. A congregation of nine. We eventually got two of them saved. And over the next 15 years, we saw revival. And we left there. When we resigned, we left there with 333 average at that time in Sunday school. God gave us revival. At that point in time, I became restless, and I, I thought it was probably midlife crisis or something, and I, in retrospect, I realized it was the Lord moving, and I, I wanted to do something else, so I got the map and the manual of the United Pentecostal Church, and I found the largest church in the United States that did not have a UPC church, and much to my surprise, I found Metro Boston with four million people and not one United Pentecostal church. I really told my wife, I said, honey, I'm not sure we should even have to pray about this. For if you've got a church of 330, a new parsonage, four acres, a nice building, you don't have to worry about someone sacrificing to take it for you. And then we could go to Boston. And so we visited Boston. My first visit there, I met the superintendent. Uh, and I told him, when I, he said, Brother Stanford, we have a record of 21 UPC preachers that have come to Boston. And each have failed and left without a convert. And we are convinced nobody can build a church in the city of Boston. We're asking you, please don't go to Boston. That was my support team. They said, go out into the suburbs and maybe we can surround it and gang up on it. Well, my wife and I went home and prayed and thought a little. And the conclusion we came to is we said, we can live with failure. But we cannot live with the fear to go. And so we went to Boston to try to start a church where it cannot be done. And I don't know how it happened, but God opened the windows of heaven. And the first 10 years we were there, we had a revival. We've got people on the universities. We trained some people, and from that church that could not be built, we had 21 preachers licensed to preach the gospel out of that church. We have, we have presently over 55 ministers out of our ministry over the years, which we give God thanks for. I'm telling you that for this one reason. Today I'm going to talk about soul winning. Every soul counts. And I want you to know that I didn't read this out of a book. I didn't read. Recently we sat down and figured the out time of outreach evangelism my wife has spent shoulder to shoulder together with. If we worked 40 hours a week in track distribution, door knocking, outreach evangelism we have accumulated over 27 years 
at 40 hours a week together of outreach evangelism. And in addition to that, my wife has accumulated six years of Sunday school bus outreach evangelism, giving her over 33 years. So we're here to tell you that what we're going to talk about today works. Many times I've had a pastor say 2% of our people do everything. Oh God, give us 100%. I am totally convinced that every person here today can within the next week meet an absolute stranger, open the door, and have them targeted as a soul that they will win for God. I think it's not only possible, it should be done. So I would like for you to bear that in mind as we preach today. I'm going to read for a text from John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And uh, if you want to read that, you can. I think they're going to put it up on the screen. So the hour's late, and I've got 16 hours of stuff to tell you in the next 40 minutes. So saving the time, just lay your Bible down, trust them. They're putting it, buy the tape afterwards and check all the scriptures out, okay? But let, listen to me, don't, lo- don't leave me, okay? All right. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father... There's a boy, there's a girl, there's a mother, father that depends on somebody hearing today. We pray an anointing of your spirit on every person, pass nobody by. Lord, let them realize that they too are a soul winner and they shall become one in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to title this just um, so you remember it, The Nuts and Bolts of Soul Winning. And uh, uh, growing up in the church, I've heard the scriptures about you have to be a soul winner. and As a preacher, I preached you have to be a soul winner. I don't believe soul winning is optional. I think it's mandated by the Scripture. In fact, I do believe that if God didn't intend you to be a soul winner, the day you got saved, He'd kill you and take you on to heaven. You can be a preacher or not a preacher and be saved. You can be a a choir singer or not a choir singer, but I think you've just got to be a soul winner because in the divine creation god planted the seed of reproduction in everything he created and he wants us to be soul winners now the question is since this no doubt is the most vital thing it's the heartbeat of god and the only reason jesus came was to seek and to save that which was lost then uh i've kind of asked the question sometimes why are we instructed to do it so many times and yet it seems we're never given the method we kind of have the right to choose what I'm going to do and you choose what you're going to do and and I've done that for many a year but you see in this scripture it it gives us a little clue and I would like for you to take the total of today's scriptures that I will present and total them up somehow to see what is the conclusion of this instruction is but notice how Jesus didn't do it he came not into the world to condemn the world and yet from my memory as a little boy and as a pastor and and outreach programs I've been involved in, it seems like we usually start with how do we get people under condemnation? We've got to get them under conviction. I remember sitting around tables and committees and we say, okay, let's, let's, start, let's start here with Romans 3.23. That's where we have to start, okay? You have to go there because it says all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. We must establish, sir, you're a sinner worth this no good going to hell, devil. And from that, we're going to build this positive message of our salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
It, it's, it's kind of a method. Now, we don't put all those last, but it's inferred. It's there. You know, you're lost. And then we usually say softly, and I've sinned too. You know, not really, but I've got to say that. And uh, so we, we kind of, we've got to get them under conviction. And then, then we start in, you know, and we say, you know, you need to come to my revival. You need to come here, my preacher. We got an evangelist. Yeah, I've got a Bible study. Whatever method. And we, you know, and now we finally get a Bible study and we teach them how rotten they are and how they need to be saved. And we, then, then they say, I'm coming to church with you on Sunday and you're the pastor. You said, Pastor, guess what? I've got someone I taught 11 weeks of Bible study. They're going to be here Sunday night. And that you come early before church and go to the prayer room. And we will go in there and then we will say, God. I taught Joe Smith a Bible study. I've been working on him for two years. I've preached at him. I've begged him. And I finally got him to come God. You know, God didn't know that. <laughs> and then we'll say, God, now help us tonight. And God laughs in our face and says, Who do you think was with you the day you met Joe Smith? Our programs are useless without Him. The labor labors in vain unless the Lord build the building. And so I found that there was a scripture that gave us that. Now, let me, let me just, I'm really looking for revival. I believe in revival. I am, I'm a positive guy. I'm so positive I've thought of taking reverse out of my car. I mean, this, this thing, this thing ought to motivate us straight forward. And I'm looking for revival. And, and I saw where the fishermen fished all night. They used all the skills and tactics of a skilled commercial fisherman. They knew where, how. They caught nothing. The carpenter came and used their boat for a platform, and then the carpenter said to the fisherman, throw out your net one more time. Throw the nets out. And I'm assuming if those... Well, they were. You read about them. They were just like you and me. <laughs> this human. The fisherman thought, who do you think you are? You're a carpenter. And you're going to tell us how to catch fish, and we've done it all night. Now, what's the deal? But I like what they said. Nevertheless, <clears throat> at thy word. And they threw out the net. Net. And they, as I, I'm sure as they started to pull in, they thought, we've hung up on bottom. It won't yield. So, I mean, we're going to tear our nets up because the carpenter taught because, you know, we know everything. You know that. We're Americans. We know everything. Bless God. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, so suddenly it began to move a little. And the next thing they saw, that thing was teeming with fish. Fish coming out over the top, over the sides. The net began to break. They had to call neighboring boats. Come on. We've got more. Listen. What would happen to the United Pentecostal Church if a... If one church would have revival so fast, so big, that on Sunday afternoon they'd have to call the neighboring pastor and say, I've got 250 more than I can get it. May I send them over? You do remember he called us to be fishermen. But I'm convinced many times we have our own methods of how to fish. We have some Pentecostal traditions. Oh, you come on. You know that's true. Yes, we do. We know how. Now, Lord, just hang on. We'll get this done, and then you can come help us. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Praise. So I, I, I kind of watch my wife, and, and she's here, and I'm so glad. This, this is a Christian lady. In all of our years, I am convinced she is as good a Christian as I've ever met, and she is an outgoing person. Now, some people, when I tell them this, they laugh. 
you wouldn't be so rude to laugh at me, would you? No, no, not lose head. Okay, but, but, but right after I got saved, I was involved in a situation, and I, I had to, we were going through something and uh, getting into a project, and I had to have my personality professionally evaluated. And so I went in, and I went through this, this series of tests and turned it in, and after it was graded, the, the, the man that did it came, he says, Denver, he said, I've done this, this kind of evaluation over with lots of people over many years. And he said, you're the first person I've ever met that's a 100% introvert. He said, your nickname should be Mr. Bashful. Well, I knew that already. I'd taken all zeros in English class before I'd give an oil book report. When I married, I married someone that already had a license. I wouldn't have to get meet the board now. <laughs> and when we started my, our first church in Coatesville, we'd get an address and we'd go knocking. I'd say hi, and then we'd go to my wife. I didn't say one word. She did it all. And when we'd leave, I'd say bye, <laughs> because I'm I'm timid. See. And so, so I watched my wife over the years as she, she would win someone. In, in the, by the records in Wichita, she ran a bus route. And every 13 weeks, every three months, she had averaged 16 to receive the Holy Ghost off of her bus route. And I've watched her win people and win people and win people. I thought, boy, that looks like fun. I wish I was that type. I wish I was like my wife. Until one day, I got sick and tired of it. Because every soul counts. She can't do it all. And I decided I, too, We'll learn to talk to sinners. And I finally got bold enough one day and I, I, I got all ready and I went out and I walked up to some fellow and I started this conversation. I said, uh, you, uh, you, you, and about that time he took off running. <laughs> I, about five people I tried that day and it's literally, and I'm a pastor. I went home, went to the bedroom, closed the door, laid on my bed and wept in humiliation. And it's bad when you can't even talk to someone. And then I washed my face and I went out again and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced until the day came. I actually went up and had a good conversation with a stranger. Today I can drive through the toll gate and pay them my 50 cents and I start a conversation. And as I drive off, I look up in my mirror and they've got the head out of the window still talking to me as I drive off because I'm a soul winner. Because I'm a soul winner. Oh, hallelujah. Now, condemnation is not the basis. Now, this bothered me. And, and, and after we were in Boston, we, we really had a revival there. We, the first 16 people we won had a total of 42 college degrees. And, and when, we, when we had 75, we had one married couple, two children, and the rest of them were single adults, most of them college students. We had a revival. God and, and continues to have a revival there. And so Brother Yance called me and said, Brother Stanford, come to New York City and speak to the ministers of New York City. Well, boy, I grabbed that. Yeah, I'm going to go preach to preachers. Hallelujah, I like this. And then after I agreed, I thought, now what am I going to tell them? And I thought, I, I, I know what Brother Yance wants. He wants me to come and tell them how we did it. And I, I got with my wife. I said, I'm not telling anybody how we win so. Because it doesn't meet the UPC tradition. I said, I'm not telling anybody. Because the way we do it is so much fun and so exciting. And we just love doing it. And we make more friends. And, and, and nobody slams the door in our face. And no dogs chew on my ankles. And, and nobody cusses me. And, and I love what we're doing. I'm not going to tell them. Okay? And so I just put it on a shelf. 
But then I got some more invitations to talk about soul winning, and I kept thinking, I got to tell them, but I'm not going to tell them. Finally, finally, I started in thinking, now, God, it's, a, now it's your fault. Because if you had written in the book how to do it, it would be easy because this is what we believe. And so I did, I did a, it was over several months. I really went to the scripture and I studied. Now, God, maybe there's something there I haven't seen heretofore. And one day I read a scripture that all of us know so well and it just seemed to just, you know, say something to me. Matthew 5, 16. You know, you've heard it. Matthew 5, 16. Okay, well, hallelujah. Let me quote it to you. There it is. It says, let your light, your light, so shine before men. How loud you shout on Sunday night. So shine. <laughs> no, I don't guess it says that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now, we are so positive about we're not saved by works until we put a negative connotation to the good works. And yet it says here that our light is our good works and somehow mysteriously they will glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's what he said. That's the book said that. Our light shines by our good works. And then I've, I've, I've really got something I started looking and I read then John 6, 44 where it, we're instructed again concerning uh, letting our light shine. And it says there that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That is the witness to the world that you love one another. Let me just say simply and plainly and not try to decorate it with anything. If you're going to be a soul winner and you don't like somebody, the first thing you're going to do is start liking that somebody. Oh, well, you say, you don't know what they did to me. You know what? God doesn't care what anybody does to you. God does not care what happens to you. Look at Job. Look at Job. But he is totally concerned with how you respond to what happens to you. If you don't like somebody, that's your problem. If you're mad at somebody, that's your problem. It is a fact that you cannot build a positive on a negative. If you don't like Bill Clinton, you should never say that. Now, what kind of witness is it when you're always complaining and finding fault? You will become positive. You will become pleasant. You will become a nice person. You will have good things to say. When people see you, they'll say, I like being with them. Oh, hallelujah. By this, men will know you're my disciples. Now, then, we heard he quoted a while ago, a part of it, Acts 1 and 8, which we love to preach from. You shall receive power. It says... Someone said dynamite. Okay, but let's don't just stop right there. Let's finish it. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And here is a key. I wish I could underline it up there. And you shall be witnesses. You shall be witnesses, not witnessers. We think witnessing is preaching. Hey, i got to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what church you go to, y'all don't really believe in everything you need. Come on, that's not the witness. I am the witness. My conversation, my behavior, my everything about me, my honesty, my integrity, everything. I am the witness.
And when I worked on a job, I never told anyone I was a preacher. I didn't tell them I was a Christian. I concluded until they can see that I'm a Christian, what I have to say means nothing at all. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, you are our epistles written in our heart, known and read of all men. We are the witness. You and I, 95% of all conversions take place in the first year that a person is saved. There's been a lot of studies done on it. When you get saved, if you're going to win anybody, you win 95% of your converts the first year you're saved. That's the average. There's some, some exceptions. But the reason is because when we get saved, all our family and friends are sinners. And then we work on them. We win some. We alienate some. And after that, the only friends we have are in the church. And we preachers have kind of encouraged that. Now, when you, you get in there, you quit hanging around. You come back. I mean, you just avoid everybody's bad. And you come out from among them and be you separate, set the Lord, and, be, and just hang out with Christians. You know what? It's really hard to win someone to whom you cannot converse. In fact, let me just say, you can't win anyone. Now, now, now conversation is not talking. There is a real serious difference. Talking is nothing. The way God designed us, two ears, one mouth, we should listen twice as much as we talk. And until you can get someone talking so you can talk about what they want to talk about, there's not a conversation. Now, you can talk for, I've done this, and I've had folks walk in me and say, I can talk, I can talk to everybody, I can talk all the time. Everybody, I mean, and I think, man, you don't shut up. You do not have a conversation until you listen. So when you meet a sinner and they want to talk about hunting, talk about hunting. Now, I'm, I'm going to, i got two or three more scriptures, then I'm going to preach a little bit. Okay. Matthew 25, now we'll, well, let's look at verse 34. This is kind of plain, really straightforward. He saw, the Lord told some folks, he said, now you inherit the kingdom that was established from the foundation of the earth, foundation of the world. But then he said, the reason you are, now listen to this, this is, this is in there. He said, he said, you saw me hungry, and you fed me. You saw me thirsty, and you gave me a drink. You saw me in jail, you came to me. You saw me in hospital, and you came to me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you? He said, in the day that you did it to the least of one of these, we don't want to compete with the Salvation Army in just doing good things, have no intentions to. But for heaven's sakes, when we get saved, let's learn that we're supposed to treat sinners good and kind. We're supposed to go out of our way to show them a little attention. And then later in verse 41, he said to the others, he said, now, now, now you folks depart from me, ye accursed, into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil. And why? Why? He said, because you saw me naked and you did not clothe me. Now, see, I'm not giving you any kind of remote scriptures. I'm pulling right out of the middle of what we all know. And there the instructions is. It, it, it's really clear. I, I, you know, I don't have to go. Let me, let me just, and I've done this many times, and I, I won't do that because... I love Louisiana. I want you all to love me. But usually when I'm somewhere preaching in a church, I'll turn to the pastor and I say, Pastor, just think very 
quickly through the New Testament and just without any really serious qualifications or depth of Bible study, what is the most, the record of the most awesome conversion in the New Testament? Saul of Tarsus. Bingo, every time, every time. Now look at him and smile, no, you're wrong. That's not it. See, now, 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 to be honest with you, that wasn't really a conversion like we're thinking conversion. I mean, when God slaps you down, pow, pokes your eyes out, and goes to screaming at you, uh, don't, don't, don't do that. We'll be having a jail ministry to see you. See, and, and, and in fact, the business, if I can say this, and I know it's, you know, it's questionable, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I do stuff like that. And, uh, but, but, but Saul was a Jew. And Jesus came to the Jews, and what happened to him, he got a course correction. But I'd like for you to look at with me just briefly the time that Jesus had a bunch of his friends with him. And they were walking along. And there's something about when you have a distinguished guest among you. When Brother Tenney comes to our district to preach, when I get the brochure, and they say, Brother Tenney's going to be. I said, oh, honey, how can we get him to come to our church while he's here? You know? And so, so Jesus is walking along. His friends were walking with him. Some of them were no doubt thinking, how do we get him to my house tonight to eat? And as they walked along, suddenly Jesus stopped and looked up in the sycamore tree and saw the most notable sinner of the community, no doubt. And, and, and immediately he said, Zacchaeus. Now, if I had been there, I confess this is our corn line. If I had been there and that rascal had taken money from me wrongfully, my children had gone to bed hungry at times, I didn't have enough money, I would despise the man. And when Jesus called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, I would have said, get him, Jesus, you got him freed. Let him have it. I mean, let him, get, get, get him. Yeah, you're with me. But he is our example. Let's look at what he did. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. You're a lost man, and I love you, and you're going to hell. Where did we get that from? I read to you in my text, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned. They're looking for something to help them. They're not looking for an, an additional proof that they're no good. They want to hear that there's a possibility of help for them, that there is something better. They want to see someone that knows how to smile, that knows how to rejoice, that doesn't retaliate, that tips the waiter when they're served, that leaves a dollar on the table when they're in a motel, that does the good things. Glory. Now, I don't know if you expected me to preach something different, but this way we did it. We just found out that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And when you get their name and address and the name of their little children and their husband, and you can call them by name and you can be kind to them, I'm telling you, they like that. They love that. And then Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to dwell to today to abide with thee. Where's the Bible study? I preach this, just, just like this, and when I get through, an elder in the church will walk up to me and say, oh, you got me under conviction so bad. 
I feel so bad. I'm going, before I go home to bed tonight, I'm going to go tell someone about Acts 2.38. Hello? Anybody awake, isn't it? I mean, you think I don't believe in Acts 2.38? I'll get you some tapes of me preaching. New birth is repentance. Water baptism by mercy in the name of Jesus Christ for missions and the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and going on living holy. And he said, I'm going to your house today to dwell, to abide. Now, immediately, the friends of Jesus said, he's going to a sinner's house. Jesus went to a sinner's house. I can't believe it. This is, I've never heard of anything like that. What a horrible, I mean, Jesus lobbed a backslide over there. Five other times the scripture said they criticized him because he made friends with sinners. He made friends with the publicans and sinners. Now, 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 this conversion, ooh, man. I love to have a church full of Zacchaeuses. He got in on that tree, and he said, Sir, I'm going to give half what I've got to the poor. And I'm poor. Thank God. How many of you, when you got converted, gave half what you got to the poor? Get your hand up. I can't see it. Raise it. Wave it. If you, if you gave, if you gave, get your hand He went a step further. He said, I'm going to refund $4 for every dollar I took wrongfully. Now, how many of you did that? Come on, get your hands up. I want to see. How many of you In all my ministry, I have never had anyone that did that kind of a flip-flop. I usually have to put them through discipleship course one, discipleship course two, a discipleship course expanded, and then we have to be patient a while, and then we give them an, a fresher course on discipleship, and then they pay part of their tithes. Hallelujah. But I wonder if we'd do it like he told us. If maybe when we throw our net out, we wouldn't know what to do with what we caught. Wow. Whoa, man, did you see? We had them that they lined up to get in when I got there to unlock the door tonight. At thy word. At thy word. Now, what did Jesus do? I have read through that. I have read through that. I, read, I thought, well, that's Jesus. He does stuff we don't do. Pokes eyes out. And but, but, but wait, this was the man in the flesh that I dwell in that simply spoke a soft word, called him by name, and expressed an interest to go to his house to eat. What did that man do? Now, if you haven't caught it, I'm just going to tell you what I'm telling you. You can win someone without saying, God, heaven, hell. The Bible, you're lost. Acts 2.38, none of that. You can actually win them. Now, I know I'm getting out. I know. I, I was going to North Carolina East Coast Revival Conference. I was going to do this, and I thought, now, I'm dead. 
Because some of y'all know those North Carolina preachers, and they're sitting right there behind me, about like this, and I think, I'm dead. When I get through and I'm going to turn around, they're going to be lined up. I'm first. And I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, I think, boy, I'm in trouble. But God, I know you told me to do this, and you have done it all of our lives, all of our ministry. We, we just win people and win people and win people. And, and I learned it from my wife. You gave her to me, Lord. And, uh, but, but Lord, I, I, what am I going to tell those preachers? And, and, and just, you know, I, I was kind of talking to him, and I do believe I kind of heard from him that one time. And I said, honey, get the Bible out and turn over to 1 Peter 3. I hope you all have that on. I hope you got to get that on the screen. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Oh, I want you to get that up there. Please, I beg you. It talks about, it talks there about, you know, wives being a subjection to your husband. There it is. That if any husband obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives too. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. It's in there. It can be done. In fact, of the business, until you win them to yourself and you become the witness of what God can do and they see that you have what they want, they really don't want what you have. I even read a verse that said when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. I read that and I said, look at that. Why do we try to pound Bible? And I'm not against Bible studies. Keep doing everything you're doing. Don't stop doing it. I'm giving you a principle today that will give you more Bible studies you can teach. It will bring you in contact with people that are desperate to hear from you. And, and that is very simple. You must learn to talk to sinners. That is essential. You cannot win anyone to whom you cannot talk. It is so important that you learn. In talking to people, you, you don't really know how to do it. So it becomes what we call spontaneous soul winning. It is, <laughs> well, let's go to John 7, 38. I'm just going to get there and then we're going to preach. I, I, this this, this look pretty well done. You know, we use this for theological arguments, you know. Someone says, oh, I believed on Jesus. And, and, yeah, and then we say, oh, but John 7, 38 says, He that believeth on me as the Scripture has said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake ye of the Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you haven't believed. Just keep that up. But wait, let's do let's hear what it says to us. It says, When I receive the Holy Ghost, out of me will flow a river of living water. Sunday night. Oh, I like you. I shout. You say, well, you haven't been much shouting today. No, I saved my energy. I can preach at you. Not long ago, I ruptured this Achilles tendon, and I'm kind of aware that it's still there. But that river flows out of us. Sunday night, you stay up late, 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 and eat pizza, pizza, and you go to bed, and you dream nightmares, and the next morning you get up and you're bloodshot, you know, eyes, and you're tired, and you're late, you get your car, and you drive too fast, you get a ticket, you get to work, and the boss there, what, you always come in late. I'm telling you, what he was out drunk last night, or what's wrong with you? And, you, you know, you're having a bad day, and you go in, and someone messed up, you can work here, and you didn't. Now, all, the worst you feel inside you is 
the same spirit you had running down that aisle Sunday night. And he has not slept too late. He didn't eat too much pizza. He's doing well. You may not feel him now. All you feel is a headache and anger. But when you walk up, now this is something that, that I believe it anyway. So I'll, when you walk up to someone and say, Brother Timmy, you like my tie? It's a pontoon, but you know, you know what this is called when you buy it in a men's market? I, I had a salesman of suits at the time. One day tell me, says, you know what we call that in the market? That's called a conversation starter. And I've got 70 of these. And everywhere I go, I wear my tie. And, and I go in the store, my wife and I go somewhere, and say, sir, I, love, I like that tie. My wife bought this for me. She picks them out. I've got 70 of them. You've got 70 of them. Well, where'd you get them? I'm not telling you. I don't want everybody to have one. Oh, come on, tell us. No, you have to find them on your... And we got a conversation going. And while I'm talking... Now, hear me. While I'm talking, out of me flows a river of living water. And they think, I like this guy. It's not my personality. Well, not all of it's not my personality. <laughs> but if it's only my personality, it'll be very shallow. But you see, it's that, that something that is reaching them. My wife and I were, were in Canada a year and a half ago, right in the dead of winter. They'd had a horrible amount of snow. Ice was five feet high. I mean, they said, we don't know where to put our snow. It was everywhere. And so we were there, and they had a big conference. And there were 1,800 people gathered in that big auditorium. And we had a three-day conference. And, and uh, so uh, when, when I came in, I noticed there was an information desk near the front. And there were, would be one or two or three ladies there to help us. And so as my wife and I always do now, we stop and talk. Oh, you folks have had a lot of snow. Oh, man, they said, we've had snow this winter. How can you take it? Oh, we're Canadians. We're used to it. We know how to handle it, you know. And we'd, we'd talk to them. And then one of them said, sir, I like your tie. Oh. I said, my wife buys my ties. I got 70 of them. Oh, how many have you got with you? I've got 17. Bring them in. We want to see them. No, I bring one at a time. Now, I didn't tell them I want to talk to you and talk to you because there is a, something that is charging your battery and in a little while there's something going to happen in you. That's a confidence I have in God. He said it. I'll throw my net. Guess what? I'm going to catch a bunch of them. I did it just like he said. And every time we went out and every time we came out, we stopped and talked to these ladies. Now, it's the last day. Someone picked up, us up a little late. I'm the speaker, and I need to get in, and I'm rushing by. And as we pass this information desk, there are three ladies there, and one of them sees us and says, Stop, wait, come here. Well, we stopped and went over. And they were, they were there, and they were very serious. They, they weren't interested in my tie. They weren't interested in, in my wife's hairdo. They didn't ask me if I talked in tongues Sunday. They said, You know what? They said, We've been talking about you two people. They said, We have concluded among ourselves, that we have never in our life met anybody like you two. That you have something that we've never met anybody that has what you have. They said, would you tell us what you... Now, there was, there was 17,998 other of us that had gone in and out, and many of them were better Christians than me and nearly as good as my wife. Well, I'm serious. Pray, 
Some, some of them prayed more than I do. I'm sure. In fact, I mean, but they came, but they didn't talk. They didn't open. I mean, they just, they just you know, ignore. Are you hearing me now? And my wife started, before I could hardly get in, I couldn't hardly get away. She said, well, you see, we go to this Pentecostal church when, when you go, when you go in there, you feel the presence of Jesus Christ. He comes and he touches you and you can lift your hands and you can feel God just touching you and he'll just pick you up. And if your day's been bad, it'll make a good day. And you, it's just such a wonderful place and we have the Holy Ghost in us. And one of them spoke to me and said, that's what we want then. Where can we go get this? seen it. We, we were, will y'all forgive me one little, uh, you get, let brother Moody get by one last night. Can I get by one little thing? My wife told me not to. Okay. Is, 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 is there anybody here from Louisiana? Oh, I can't tell it then. <laughs> My wife and I were traveling, and we was in a, a, a southern state, and uh, unnamed, of course. <coughs> and uh, uh, the way we, when, when we go anywhere, we don't care. We talk to people. I mean, that, it's lifestyle evangelism. We just talk to everybody we see. In fact, I tell her sometimes, honey, if I meet one person this week that I do not start a conversation with, bring it to my attention. I talk to them all. Now, and so we met this couple, husband and wife, three teenage children, and we started a conversation with them. And we laughed and we talked it. And I think I asked him, I said, now, the, the Cajuns wear shoes in the winter? <laughs> oh, come on now. And I said, well, now, you know, they, 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 these um, crawdads, do they eat grasshoppers? <laughs> and and they, they kind of laughed. We, we just had a good conversation. And, and then all of a sudden, this woman got real serious. And she looked at my wife and she said, you're Pentecostal, aren't you? No, she didn't say it. She didn't ask questions. She said, you're Pentecostal. I can tell. We said, how can you tell? She said, just looking at you. And then she said, in our part of the country, we have lots of them. We see them a lot of places. She said, she said now I'm Baptist. I teach a Sunday school, and, I, and, and I'm Baptist. And, and said, we Baptist ladies are always talking about the Pentecostal women. We see them everywhere we go. They're all over. And she said, we've concluded that they are the most beautiful, angelic people that we have ever seen. They have this radiant beauty about them, and they're just so special. But every one of them's a snob. Oh, oh Lord Jesus. We got away from them as quick as we could, and we went slipped over to a mall. And I said, let's hide behind this bush and watch. Have you ever seen an elephant hide and a... So, sure enough, out the window, there was two young ladies coming in, probably 22, 23 years of age. They were us. They were ours. Oh, they were. They were. And we, we knew when we seen them. And we kind of hid and let them walk in. And they got in. And as they were walking through, they were laughing and talking to each other. And one of them almost bumped into somebody. And she turned and scowled at them like, why are you in my way? And went walking on. We followed them. They didn't speak to one person. One a, 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 a customer service agent came over and said, may I help you please? And one of them said, no, we know what we're looking for. We don't need your help. I'm sorry, I'm here. If it wasn't you, then don't worry about it. If you were, praise through. And I said, honey, I 
can't take you anymore. Now here we came, boy, my wife, and, and, and I let my wife kind of get in front of us, and they looked at her, and mama said, y'all Pentecostal? Yeah, you are too, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, we laughed at that. We had a great time. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> let your light shine. It doesn't shine till it shines in the darkness. We come to church to worship. We leave the church to service. Every soul counts. Don't pass anybody up. I don't care who they are. Let me give you a statistic that if you've got a brain and a spirit, it'll blow your mind. This is a fact. We have over 450,000 foreign students in the universities of the USA. They come from the cream of the crop, the elite, the wealthy, the, the, the leaders of the country. They're here. And a study of those foreign students have shown that out of every three foreign students that come to the United States, two of them convert to the church of the first friend they make. Pick them up. Go down. Meet them. Take them to Kmart. Show them how to show. Bring them to your house. Tell them you can come here on a weekend. And let them be eat out of plates and, and knives and forks, not plastic and paper. And let them know that you like them. And they will join your church. We went, got into a, a blind school there close to the church in Boston. We won a man from Pakistan. He, he had no eyes. We brought him to church. He was baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. His worship of the Lord. About six weeks went, and all of a sudden, the people working with us said, we can't touch him. Said, said, said when we, we see him, there are two men walking beside him, and no one is allowed to approach him. And then two more weeks passed, and then they said, we went over to the blind school today, and the staff told us that this man had gone home. And then they told us, they said when he had told his family about the baptism in Jesus' name, then the Holy Ghost said the Father had sent two guards or several guards so the two were with him all the time, 24 hours a day. Nobody could approach him. And they said he is the son of the president of the country. We've had college students come in and have dinners. And I've had at one dinner table physicists from France, a physicist from communist China, a guest professor at Boston College from Communist China, a singer from China, and, 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 and these Chinese were talking, and I got involved, who are you, where are you from? And they said, we didn't know each other, we don't know each other. And then this girl, who's a guest professor at Boston College, which impresses me, just overwhelmed, and she got wide-eyed like a child with a new toy, and she said, but everybody knows Ming, M-I-N-G. And then this, this physicist from China said, oh, pastor, everybody knows Ming, everybody knows her. Well, I don't know her. But we had an instructor from Berkeley College of Music who was her teacher. And he said, let me explain. In, in, in communist China, Ming is the number one recording artist in the country, radio, television, tapes, and all. And the Chinese government sent her here to study more music. And there she sat. And then she explained to us. She said, this was before China was open a little like it is now. And she said, when I was leaving, 240 relatives gathered. We had a big meeting, and I was, it was a going-away party. And my uncle, the head of the clan, told me that day in front of them, said, now, when you get to the United States, Ming, there you can find a Bible and find somebody. <laughs> that can teach you the Bible, and you learn it as good as you can. And when you come home, you're going to teach all of us the Bible. Listen, folks. What did we get that song there? Always call us holy rollers. They're always making fun. We're hated 
opinion of everybody. Nobody likes us. Nobody. Oh, stop it now. I rebuke that. We're the cream of the crop. Our fathers are God of heaven. We are the chosen generation, the royal priesthood. We are his hands. We have his feet. This is his mouth. If we don't let our light shine, nobody will let the every soul count. I, get, I just can't take negative stuff. Well, my wife, Brother Mooney was wrong last night. It's not me that's crazy. It's my wife. And she taught me what I know, so <laughs> here we are. And anyway, my wife, she thinks everybody wants to get saved. Well, I grew up in the church. I really, she grew up in the church of Christ. She got saved later. She didn't realize that, that nobody likes us. And, and uh, that nobody listened to us. Nobody wants to get saved. And, uh, they, you know, she didn't know that. So she just talked to everybody. Got a lot of folks saved. And, and it's kind of interesting. And I watched. I thought, you can't do that, honey. And she did. And I can't do that. And she, she, had a, she had a little book she carried in her purse. It, it, it was just, it's just worse than this one. See, see that? Look at those torn pages. See that? that old, I mean, I called it a rat's nest. See? Because, because you know, when she wrote a, an address down, she'd rip off a page. Here you go. She wrote a down, she gave you one. See, and if she writes something, she loves colored ink, and she'd reach in her purse, she'd pull out purple, green, yellow, I don't know, all kind of colors. She'd, she'd split that old rat's nest open, and she'd write it down. Well, okay, when we go into a restaurant, we always talk to the servers. And this particular day, the server is coming from behind my wife. I can see her approaching. And now, the only way I can describe this woman is if you can, in your mind, picture a lady that looks like a bulldog. A mad, a mad bulldog. I mean, a mad bulldog. When she's coming, I thought, well, you remind me of a bulldog. And you're mad. Okay. Now, and I see her coming. I think, boy, this is going to be a long day. Well, as she steps up to my wife, my wife puts on a big smile and turns around and says, oh, I'm so happy you're our server today. And I think, honey, you missed this one. And the lady looks at my wife and says, well, why are you happy I'm your server? I thought, that's what I want to know. My wife said, because you seem to be such a sweet person, I'm glad you're serving us. And this lady put on a smile and said, I am happy to serve you, and you are a sweet person. Well, this particular day, there was a lady served us, and her, her tag said, Mary Ann. And so my wife, hello, Mary Ann, how you doing? And she said, oh, I'm doing fine, how are you? And my wife said, and how's your family? And she said, they're doing fine. Well, my mother's in the hospital, but there's nothing serious. My wife said, listen, my husband's a minister, and, and, and we'll pray for her for you, okay? Uh, she said, it's not anything serious. Well, we'll pray for her anyway, and, you know. And, and, and then Marianne headed off, and my wife reached into her purse and pulled out this rat's nest, grabbed a pen, wrote, Marianne, December 1981, Denny's, and then slapped it back in her purse, and I turned to her, and I said, honey, you'll never find that again. You know, I'm intelligent, and... and and I said, now, uh, you know, I mean, honey, I mean, the, you, the, you, there's no system to that threat. And she just ignored me. And uh, so it was about four months later, and, 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 and my wife talked to her quite a bit. We talked to her. I talked some now. And so we were at a department store, and down the aisle, we saw a lady. And I said, honey, we know her. Where did we meet her? And she said, I don't remember, but we met her somewhere. Boy, I wish I could remember where or her name or something. And my wife turned and opened her purse and slipped that rat nest out. Well, you know, I'm intelligent. I said, honey, you'll never find that thing. You don't know me. You know? And she just went, all of a sudden she turned and she said, her name's Mary Ann. 
She served us at Denny's January this last year. Lucky. And so, so we walk up to her, and my wife says, Hello, Mary Ann. Mary says, You remembered my name. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're the, you served us. My husband's a minister. She says, I remembered you. I've met you, but I was standing here wondering who you are, where I met you, but I couldn't remember. You remembered my name. Oh, yeah, and, and you told me your mother was in the hospital, I remember, and I prayed for her. How is she? for my mother my mother's fine you remember my name mom said, can i have your phone number and she said here phone number checkbook oldest child i mean i mean my wife owned her my wife owned her and so now now she's got a phone number oh poor mary and so so i come in a few days and there's that rat's nest on the middle of the table and, and my wife's got the phone and she's calling all of her friends and here's cheesecakes all around and man I go over, boy, and I get knife and fork. She said, no, she said, those are for my real friends. <laughs> so that night, she had called Marianne and said, Marianne, I'm making cheesecakes. Well, I, you know, I got just a little head of myself because I'm watching that clock. Mm, it's going to be hard. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll quit, I promise you. And, and so, no, no, I've got, I've got there's a time. I, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, now, um, my wife. The next week I went in and she had the message and she called Marianne. That day she said, Marianne, I was thinking of you and I'm so happy I met you. You seem to be such a nice person. And I just wanted to call you and tell you that I'm hoping you're having a great day today. If there's ever anything I can do, just give me a call because I'm your friend. And then the next week a phone call, the next week a phone call, three times, and no response from Marianne. She didn't say anything really, she wasn't ugly or anything, but she didn't show any response. And so the next week my wife mailed her a card. I saw this card and I thought of you. And I just want to send it to tell you that I hope you have a great day. I consider you my friend. And then the phone call, phone call, phone card, phone call, phone call, phone call, card. Nothing's happening. Then that's the day she does the cheesecake thing. She calls me and says, Mary, I'm making cheesecake. Do you like cheesecake? Oh, I love cheesecake. I'm making some. I want to make Oh, no, don't do it. Yes, I'm doing it. You tell me your address. Here it goes. Now, what time will you be home this evening? 7 o'clock. Okay, I'll be there at 7 o'clock with this cheesecake. You be there. And so I drive the taxi, and we go to Marianne's house. I carry the cheesecake. We walk up to the door. We ring the doorbell, and Marianne comes to the door. And when she looks at us, she bites her lip, literally, to keep from crying. And then a tear makes its way down her face. She says, I've never seen anyone like you two. She said, I didn't know there was anyone in the world like y'all. She said, I've never told you before, but every day of my life, I wait for the phone to ring just to hear your voice. It was more than a voice. It was something coming in here that God was doing. And she said, and I have your cards. And when I'm having a bad day, I go get those cards. And I said, this woman doesn't even know me. She, but she, she likes me. She cares about me. And she said, it makes my day. She said, the day you call me, she said, it just makes my day. So she said, what is the deal with y'all? But then she was crying. She said, is it your church that makes you like this? My wife said, it's the God of our church. So wait, 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 too much time. Don't take my time. And Marion said, I want to know where your church is. I want what you have. I had a, in Kansas, we just had a few folks and we had a, a, oh, a nice couple move in. Two little children, they moved in. And he had a good job. His ties was half of our income. They were really good people. And, uh, but about that time, we had a, 
we had a hoodlum show up at our church, just a, kind of a bum of a kid, and he 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 wasn't worth anything. He's smoking, drink, cussing, all those things, and, and other stuff. And 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 he came to church for a little while. One day, this man, this man had a local license, and they were such, played music. Oh, they were such a great family. And and one day he came, he said, "Listen," he said, "I've got little children." He said, "And my children will not go to church with people like that. You run him off, or we'll leave and make it real short." He left. Packed up and left and took half the ties with him. You can laugh, but boy, I didn't laugh. It hurt. And that, 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 I mean, this guy didn't even work. If he paid ties, it wouldn't have been anything. I'd go over Sunday morning, and he'd be laying fully clothed on his side with his face towards the TV where he passed out Saturday night in a drunken stupor. And there he'd be laying. And I'd shake him, and I'd say, uh, get up. It's time to go to Sunday. Oh, oh, but, but I'm sick. I can't. I said, you're lying. I said, you, you, you gotta, you're drinking last night. you got to hang up. Get up, or I'm going to whip you. <laughs> and, and then he'd say, no, no, no. I'm going to help my daddy work in the car. I said, you're lying. you never done anything around here ever. Now get up. I, I don't have any clothes. I said, your mother's on him. Now, this is the last time. Now, I will whip you now if you don't get up. And he'd come to church, and I'd keep him all afternoon so he couldn't get drunk. Bring him to church. God, maybe tonight. Maybe, you know. Now, I don't know what happened to that couple. I, I honestly don't. They moved to the back of the state. We've checked with the church, and someone said they came a little while. And then the last we heard that they're separated and they're about a church, and we can't find them. We've looked for them. We can't find them. They, they're gone. They disappeared. I don't know. Now, this old bum here, he hung around a while, and uh, one night he actually prayed through. And uh, uh, now, now, today, Charles Mahaney is pretty well known in the United Pentecostal Church. What I'm trying to tell you, every soul counts. My wife picked up one little boy in the project. He was this big. He had an afro. Looked like he'd kissed the light socket. You know? I mean, this kid was, he had no daddy. He didn't know his daddy was. His mom didn't know his daddy was. She hated the boy. He was a problem. And, and my wife found him knocking doors, and the mother said, yeah, you can take him anytime you want to, but I'm not waking him up and getting him ready. So my wife would go wake him up, get him ready, dress him, feed him, and bring him to Sunday schools, bring him to church. He'd go in his class, he cussed, he spit, he hit, he tore up a class. We put him in another class. He tore up another class. We gave him the superintendent. He couldn't handle him. They brought him the expert. I used all the gifts of the Spirit on him. I shook him. I bribed him. Nothing helped. And finally, I said to my wife, Honey, we are not equipped to handle Victor. You cannot bring him back anymore. And so, that was it. And she didn't say anything, and that was it. And next Sunday, when she came in, when she walked in, she had Victor by the hand. And she walked over to the organ where she played. And she got up on the bench and she said, Victor, right out here so everybody could see him. She opened her purse, which was full of candy and games. And she just, and he sat there eating candy and grinning all morning long. He didn't go anywhere. And so the, the superintendent came in and said, Brother Stanford, I thought you said, I said, hold it, I'll handle this. And I let her take her kids home. They could take that stuff home and let her, took her out to eat. And then I let her rest a few minutes. And with the best, the, you know, the authority and the dignity that only pastors possess in my very best voice. I said to her, I said, um, honey, uh, didn't I tell you that? And then she stood up and held her little finger like this and said real softly to me, now wait just a minute. Last week you didn't let me say anything. But this week I want to say something. She said, I'm the one that goes when it's snowing and cold. I go every Saturday and every Sunday. And I go when it's raining I go when it's hot. The teacher doesn't go. The superintendent doesn't go. And you don't go very often. And by that time, there were two little 
streams coming down her face. And she said, Victor's mother doesn't love him. She abuses him physically and emotionally, offered to give him to my wife. And she said, she doesn't love him. The, the teacher doesn't love him. The superintendent doesn't love him. You don't love him. I'm the only one in the world that loves Victor. And she said, if Victor can't come back to this church anymore, then I will never come back again myself. And I think I found what the heart of a soul winner is. That every soul counts. And I said, well, wait, 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 let's talk about this. Now let's talk about this. Boy, I couldn't have my wife going somewhere else. Because in my church, everybody would go with her. And so I said, we worked this out. So we kept Victor, and she brought him and brought him. And we moved to Boston, and time passed. And one night, the phone rang late, and, and this voice said, Brother Stanford, uh, this one I said, I've been running your wife's bus route. And he said, you remember Victor? And I said, yes. He said, um, I've been bringing him to church ever since you left. He said, and I thought you'd want to know that we're in a revival. And tonight, uh, this afternoon, I went over, and I got Victor, and I got his mother, and they both came to service tonight. And both of them were baptized in Jesus. And they were with the Holy Ghost. The last report I got from Victor, young man, he said to some of our friends, I want to be a preacher like Brother Stanford. Would you stand with me? So winning is, is this simple. That you now decide when I see a sinner, I will talk to them. I will become their friend. I really don't want to abuse the time, but I, I want to tell you one more little incident. Please let me tell you. I want a man named Louis, Louis Gillum, and he told me one day, he said, Brother Stanford, he said, I've got my favorite aunt and uncle. I've been trying to witness to him, but I can't talk to him. I can't talk to him. They told me one day, he said, don't talk church. Don't you send your preacher over here. We'll slam the door in his face. We don't want any part of it. He said, I've done everything I could, and I'm so frustrated. He said, I know they're going to slam the door in your face, but would you and Sister Stanford go just to see if you can do anything? So we, we went. And I made sure my shoes were shine, hair was combed on both sides, brushed my teeth, put, put my coat, looked nice, pretty, smiled. My wife looked nice, and we went over, and I got the best business card I had, no wrinkles, no, just, boy. We knocked on the door, rung, rung the doorbell, and, and I had the card ready, and the, the man answered the door. And he opened the door, and I said, sir, I'm the pastor of Louis and Frida Gillum, and they told me that you were their favorite uncle and your wife their favorite aunt. And they said they'd like for me to come by one minute just to meet you. Now, how can you turn that down? He looked at me and frowned and took one step backwards and said, come in. And I stepped in and I had 60 seconds. I looked down this wall as I stepped in and halfway down I saw a case of rifles. I said, sir, you like to hunt, don't you? He said, do you hunt? 
I said, well, I haven't heard, hunted since my youth in New Mexico, but, boy, you've got some nice rifles, it looks like. Oh, he said, come here. Pulled his keys out, unlocked them, showed me his, he said, fill this one. That's my favorite rifle right there. That's my, he handed me that rifle. And so I got it and I thought, feel of it. <laughs> feel, feels pretty good. No, no, no. He said, si oh, oh, oh. He left. He said, you don't know anything about rifles, do you? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> I said, how can you tell? He said, if you're going to feel of a rifle, you put it in your shoulder and you stick it in that thing. One hour later, I'm over here. When my wife walked in, she looked down this wall, she saw all these little baby pictures. And she said, oh, who are those little darlings? And Grandma said, come here. <laughs> An hour later by the clock, she's over there. I'm over here. I said, honey, get late. We knew. Oh, he said, don't leave yet. It's early. Honey, give them something to drink. We ate their crackers, ate their cheese, drank their juice. We were there another half an hour. I said, we got to go. He said, will you come back? I said, we'll be back at 7 next Tuesday. He said, we'll be. What do you want? Ice cream? Tell me what you like. We'll have it for you. And we, we got home. We opened the door. The doorbell was, the, the phone was ringing. I picked up, it was Louie. He said, Brother Stanford, you went to see my uncle tonight. I said, well, what did I do wrong? He said, no, no, no. I said, Brother Stanford, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? He said, you know what my uncle told me? He said, you and your wife were there. He said, he said, him and his wife talked after you left him. They called us and they said, we have never met anybody like them. And if we ever go to church, we're going to that church. Would you now for a moment just close your eyes? I would love to have two commitments from you today. I would like for you to make a commitment. God, I shall talk to sinners. I will practice and practice and practice. I will talk to sinners. I will be friends with sinners. And then those of you that have already sinner friends, before the next week is out, you make some chocolate chip cookies, some brownies. You men buy a fishing lure for the fishermen, buy a hunting magazine, and go in and say, I, I just thought of you, and I'd like to give this to you. I mean, let's do, let our light so shine. Will you make a commitment right now? Will you make a commitment? I'm going to talk to sinners. I'm going to talk to sinners. God, I'm going to take you and let you shine. I'm going to smile and let you shine. I'm going to smile. And the sad thing that I will tell you is that if six of you here will take this home with you, I will be happy. Write it on your mirror, on your bathroom window. I am a soul winner. In fact, I've got a bumper sticker that says I am a soul winner. I've got a magnet that I put on the refrigerator. I've got a sticker inside my Bible books. I'm a soul winner. I'm a soul winner. I even made up little soul winning books for our church. Right here, you don't need a new spot. Here it is, soul winning. Here's friends. Here's names. Oh, oh, I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to be a soul winner. I've, I've seen... I've seen trophies for quizzers. I'm glad. I've seen trophies for youth campers. I've seen trophies for folks who sold the most in the fundraiser. I've seen trophies and awards for the one that gave money and one that gave more money. And I've never seen a, nothing for so winning. I think this ought to be put in our Sunday school curriculum, in our youth camp. Our children ought to be taught. The world's waiting for you to smile and come to them. The biggest trophy ever awarded ought to be the most important. I, a soul winner, and I'm quitting God. The greatest gift you can give today is the gift of yourself. Would you come right now? The greatest gift we could do, would you find a place and come surrender yourself? 
the greatest gift you can give. Don't leave. We've got time. Lunch or wait. Would you just come and find a place in between the pews in the front? Ministers, saints of God, laities, young people, would you come and submit yourself to the Lord? Don't leave. Don't leave. Just give yourself the greatest gift you can give is you. I will say yes. I will smile. 